0: All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, we've made it uh, to chapter 5. It's only taken us uh, 11 weeks to get there, uh, but we've made it, and so be happy about that. Uh, we've we've been leaning really into the Word for these past few weeks in, in Hebrews, specifically paying attention to this very special warning um, when it comes to not entering the rest that God makes possible for us in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and that warning is, is simply that, that unbelief and faithlessness will keep you from entering uh, eternal rest. And so, so we examine our hearts according to the word. And, and we allow the word, as it says at the, uh, toward the end of chapter 4, uh, to pierce us and to lead us into freedom. And, and what is helpful is that uh, the writer doesn't just say, hey, you're on your own with this. He's, instead, what he does is he he draws our attention to the work of Jesus and he teaches us how th- the role that Christ serves us in our hearts as our great high priest. And, and I told you this is going to take us into a few chapter journey into really how uh, we worship Jesus as He serves as as our mediator between us and, and God the Father. In fact, uh, last week we spent uh, a, really about forty five minutes to an hour uh, looking at three verses where it describes Jesus as our great high priest who who really does these three amazing things for us that he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, he is able, uh, because he's been tempted in every way and yet was without sin. And then uh, what we loved uh, at the end of our time was being able to, to identify that he grants us mercy and grace. And that's why we can go with confidence to God, because this is what Jesus does for us. And, and the fact that he does these things for our benefit should give us confidence to take really all matters of our lives with the Father, because access to Jesus makes our relationship with God both intimate and and loving. And so this morning we're just going to continue in this exploration of uh, Jesus as our great High Priest, and we're going to meditate specifically on one verse as it talks about how He is our eternal source of salvation. And so that's that's kind of what we got going today. Father, let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we thank you this morning uh, for your word. And we thank you this morning that uh, our songs don't just hit empty air, but they enter into your throne room. And I pray as our hearts are centered on Christ today, that we would be very attentive to the Holy Spirit, that he would make these verses come to life in powerful ways. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we thank you for your Son. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Let me let me tell you the typical process, not that any of you care about this. I'm, I got the mic, so I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, typically, in a week when it comes to preparing a lesson, uh, it it takes people to say, what do you do all day? And I'm like, oh, I nap some video games. And then I talk for about 30 minutes on a Sunday. And you're like, 30 minutes? Yeah, I bet. Um, but typically, the way the way my week works is, On Tuesday, I'll I'll look at the passage that I think we're going to go through and and I'll just sit with God and I'll talk to Him about some things. And then on Wednesday, I spend a bulk of my time reading commentaries and manuscripts of uh, way smarter people who have presented the same kind of verses. Uh, And then what typically happens is this collision or combination of uh, these three different avenues. And uh, this week in particular, I was having a hard time uh, in these verses, because apparently Hebrews is a hard chapter to walk through uh, with people, and so uh, and and so I was really struggling with it. And then uh, God brought me to this manuscript, this sermon that was taught way back in this, the year 1996. 96 guys, ancient days, like they had CDs. Uh, and so uh, so I dusted this old manuscript off, and uh, and and it was really helpful and. And the more I started writing, the more I realized I'm just trying to package what is being presented here. Uh, And so uh, John Piper, back in 1996, was walking with his church through the book of Hebrews. uh, And he painted a scene, painted a picture of who Jesus is according to these verses this morning. uh, That the more I wrote, the more I borrowed, and then the more guilty I felt if I didn't tell you that I borrowed pretty much all of this. Um, But my prayer is hopefully that seeing this picture that he painted for his congregation will help us uh, see Jesus more clearly this morning. So I want to make sure I give credit where, where credit is due there. Uh, but but let's start by building some momentum into chapter 5. Uh, so it says that, again, we hold fast to our confidence of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus continues to do because he is our great high priest, that uh, he sympathizes and he was tempted yet without sin and, and he gives mercy and he gives grace to help and, and now we enter into this understanding more of the function of the high priest, which, uh, Lawson, this is where we pick it up, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to to offer gifts, and sacrifices for sins. If you like to underline and and look very spiritual in your Bible, those are two different things that you need to underline or circle, right? To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Verse 2, He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people, and no one takes his honor for himself, but but only when God, when called by God, just as Aaron was. So he's connecting us back to the Old Testament. The very first high priest was Aaron. And from that point forward, uh, the whole line of the high priest falls through the lineage of the house of, of, of that Aaron came through. And so, now we're not going to spend much time in these verses except to say the high priest was, was not an office you were voted into. You didn't Run for a high priest and get voted in by your friends. Uh, In fact, uh, rather, God appointed you to this office to do really two specific things. You offered uh, sacrifices and you offered gifts. Uh, I'm sorry, you offered gifts and you offered sacrifices for sins. Uh, And then this person understood the weakness of other people because he himself was beset with weakness. Uh, And this is important as we talk about Jesus because one of the primary things that draws us to him is that he understands us. He understands temptation, he understands weakness, and yet he goes without sinning. And so, but again, all of this was an office that God installed people, not uh, they just chose to do it. And so, so now we, we turn our attention to Jesus in verse number 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him Uh, who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says, In another place you are a priest forever, uh, and you can circle that word, that's pretty important, after the order of Melchizedek. Say that with me. That's just fun to say. One, two, three. Uh, One, two, three, people. One, two, three. Melchizedek. Alright. Don't ever make that mistake again. Um, So verse 7. In the days of his flesh... Right, so so there there are three words that describe Jesus uh in in this passage and I think it's it will help us understand his rightful place in our hearts this morning okay so if you'd like to take notes here here's three words I was going to give you blanks but then I was like it's just three words all right it, we're going to talk about dignity we're going to talk about eternity and we're going to talk about purity dignity eternity and purity and we'll talk about what we mean by each of those. Uh, but, but first let's, let's set the stage with verse 9. Uh, because that's where we find a bulk of the, of everything that else gets built out from here. In being made perfect, He, being Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Okay? So that's us. To all who obey Him. So Christ is the source of of eternal salvation. Salvation from the guilt and the condemnation and, and the power of sin and from the wrath of God and the fear of death and a life of meaningless work. Uh, and this verse says that all of this salvation comes from Jesus. We don't share it. He doesn't share it with anyone else. And so so He is the source. He is the cause of that salvation. And it starts in this life and it lasts through death, through judgment, and goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so, so this is what the book of Hebrews is about. It's really what all of the Bible is about, that salvation that lasts forever is based on Jesus. And that's so important, so important for us to hear. If you've given your life to Jesus, it's important for us for you to anchor to that. And if you just have questions and you're waiting into life with God, it's important you would understand that distinction. Because this is what Jesus brings to the table, that nothing else, no one else, no thought else, that's not even a phrase, but you get it, that, that nothing else in all of creation can fulfill what Jesus brings to the table. And so, so this is the main point of the verse, that he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Everything else in these verses explain how Christ could do that. And, and so, so I, I want to try to show you from these verses uh, that, that Christ became the source of eternal salvation uh, because of his dignity as the Son of God, as the eternity that he serves in the priestly order of Melchizedek, and then the purity and w- the crucible of suffering that he went through in order to rescue us. Uh, and so, so dignity, as we talk about that, it, just, it, it means worthiness of honor. When someone has dignity, they they are worthy of honor. So, for instance, a dog has more dignity than an ant, right? Because nobody gets all up in arms uh, when we poison ant piles, right? Um, But if someone in your neighborhood decided to round up all the dogs and poison them, we have issues, right? I'm not even a dog person, um, but I know that that's wrong. Uh, Cats, on the other hand, you can kill them all. Who cares, right? Uh Children, children have more dignity than dogs, Nancy, I'm telling you, all right, she's one of those dog people that are weird, but but the Humane Society will wrangle up stray dogs and mercifully at times put them to sleep, but if you have somebody going through your neighborhood this week saying, hey, we're taking up the kids, we're going to put them to sleep, there's issues, all right, there's issues on the table, all right, we don't do those things and nobody would let that happen and and god for instance has more dignity than children and adults because he created us and he owns us and he is infinitely superior to us in every way so so dignity means worthiness of honor that christ has infinite dignity as the son of god he does okay so we talk about that now let's talk about eternity eternity means forever forever forever. So so something that has eternity has no beginning and no ending by definition. Right? So 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 if something lasts for a while and stops, it does not have eternity. Or if something that didn't exist all of a sudden came into existence, it does not have eternity. And and so um so eternity means forever. So backwards and forwards, no beginning, no ending. And so Christ, for instance, has eternity uh, in the priestly order of Melchizedek, and we'll, we're going to get to Melchi here uh, in just a second. Uh, and then purity just means unsoiled, not not dirty at all. Uh, that that this means when Jesus suffered and was tempted, he did not give into the impurities of anger and bitterness and. Cursing and, and self pity and unbelief. That he he prayed for help and this is what the verses tell us. God helped him. God brought that support to him. And so 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 the main point is simply this: that Christ became the source of eternal salvation because of his dignity, his eternity, and his purity. And so so someone might say, well, then what about his death for our sins? Because isn't that a big component? And it is. In fact, that's a great question to ask. And I think there's three reasons why we pay attention this morning to dignity and eternity and purity. And mainly, number one, is because the text does it. Uh, The text, it, it talks about Christ's dignity as the Son of God, His eternity as the priest like Melchizedek, and then His purity and His suffering. Number two, is that these three things explain why Jesus was a suitable Savior to die for our sins. Uh, it was it was the price of admission to become the savior. He had to do these three things, and, and when you know why he was a suitable savior, uh, your confidence in your salvation and in your savior is is stronger. And when your confidence is stronger, you're more more likely to be courageous and be a risk taking, self sacrificing lover of God. That this book is going to call from us in a couple of chapters. Just a heads up, chapter ten through thirteen get uncomfortable if you think that the you can pursue God and be very casual with it. Okay, so, and then the third reason Hebrews talks about dignity and eternity and purity of Jesus is is the way he became our source of eternal salvation is that that knowing him is that, is that really really knowing who he is and what he is like. And what he experienced makes a personal relationship with him possible. Uh, in fact, in fact, the less you know about a person, the less you can have a significant personal relationship with them. Right? Is, is that a fair statement? I feel like it is. Um, that that just because you've never uh, you haven't met your whatever movie star you want to talk about doesn't mean y'all are buddies. No matter what sense of delusion that you live in. Just because you read about them doesn't mean you know them, okay? And so, so when it comes to Christ, the more we know about Him, the more we get to see Him, and we need to see Him in His dignity as the Son of God, in His eternity as a priest in the line of Melchizedek, and, and then in His purity in the midst of His incredible suffering. And this is, this is how you have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's how it's done. And so let's give each word its proper attention. So let's talk about dignity. And we begin back in verse 4. And it says, No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. In order, and in other words, the office of the high priest is an office of immense dignity because you can't run for it. You can't. In fact, God is... God has to call you like he called Aaron back in the Old Testament. So verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. And this is an important distinction. Today I have begotten you. So, So Christ did not glorify himself with the dignity of the office of high priest. That God the Father did that. And what's surprising is that the verse uh is, is the the title son of god replaces the title high priest right because the the first half of the verse says that Christ did not glorify himself as high priest uh and and, and we expect the second part of that to be like no god did that uh, but instead uh, it quotes psalm chapter 2 verse 7 and it says it talks about god begetting Christ as his son and i think the point is that that Christ is qualified to be our great high priest and to become the source of eternal salvation because He is the Son of God. It was God Himself who qualified Christ in this way. Christ is begotten of God from all eternity and God declared Him the Son of God in the power of raising Him from the dead. So, so Christ comes on the scene with dignity, worthy of honor to be our high priest and, in turn. Our eternal source, eternal source of salvation, that no one else could do that. No other being in the universe has the dignity that's required to obtain eternal salvation. It took an infinite dignity, and no, no priest out of Aaron's line and, and no angel in heaven could do it. Only the Son of God. Only Him. One way. And now, I labor the point because of this reason that all hell will rage at you one day with this one message. And typically, it happens the closer you get to the end of your life, that you will start hearing these things, that your salvation is not sufficient. Your guilt remains. Condemnation hangs over your head. The wrath of God is not removed. And it's at that moment you will need the truth about the foundation of your eternal salvation it's in that one truth that will strengthen your confidence in that hour that 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 you will have no you have no ordinary high priest you have no one that doesn't have infinite dignity because you know the son of god and he has therefore become your source he's the well that never runs dry and so so let's talk about eternity for a second so, so we consider the eternity of Christ as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, he's become the, the source of eternal salvation because he is an eternal priest. So, so verse 6, as he says, also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, now Hebrews 7, uh, when we get there in year 2023, I think, um, but Hebrews 7 talks about Melchizedek in detail. All right, so, so we're going to leave most of our thoughts about that until we get to those verses. But let me, let me introduce you to him. In fact, uh, Melchizedek is really only mentioned two times in the, the Old Testament. We, have, we see him once in Genesis chapter 14 starting in verse 18 and I think ending in about verse 20. And then we see another reference to him in Psalm 110 verse four. That's the only reference. In fact, all of the word is silent between that reference in Psalm 110 until Hebrews chapter five. Uh, and so so in Genesis, Melchizedek meets Abraham who's coming back from a military conquest, and Melchizedek blesses him. Uh, and in turn, Abraham gives him a tithe. He gives him 10% of whatever he has. That's where we get the Old Testament version of the tithe. It's 10% because that's what Abraham gave back to Melchizedek. And, and the, te- the text simply says that, that Melchizedek was a priest of God Most High. Now, there's, there's zero information about his parents or his ethnic origin. Uh, in fact, he appears and he disappears for about a thousand years until David, in Psalm 110 brings him uh, back to mind, and but but David quotes God saying that a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, and that's that's it, nothing else about this guy, but Jesus is connected to him in a very profound way, uh, and, and the point is this that, that Melchizedek symbolizes in the Old Testament a priesthood different from the priesthood of Aaron. Uh, Different from the temple, different from the Jewish religion. In fact, different from the tribe of Levi. That's where Aaron came from. Melchizedek became this this kind of symbolic pointer to a priesthood that had no beginning and no ending. Uh, And and so that's why Psalm 110 and Hebrews 5, 6 stresses this word forever. And, And so that you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so, so now we'll come back again to, to him in chapter 7, but the point here is this, that not only does Christ have the dignity of the Son of God, but he also has the eternity to continually serve as a priest between us and God. Forever. Always our mediator. And so what, what Melchizedek symbolized, Christ realized, that, that Christ really is a high priest, as as chapter 7, verse 3 of Hebrews is going to tell us, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, that he is and he has eternity. And this is the second reason that he's become a source of eternal salvation for us, that not only, not only was his death infinitely valuable and infinitely uh, effective because of, uh, he has this infinite dignity. But, but he goes on ministering the effects of our death for us in heaven forever and ever and ever. He never dies. And that's why you can trust in him. You can't trust anybody else because they one day they gone, right? But him doesn't. In fact, Piper says this, uh, This too is for the sake of your confidence in the face of fear and doubt and temptation and accusation... He says, do, do you want to become an oak tree saint instead of a cattail saint? Uh, the Bible, and where it's like, Oh, oak tailed saint, cattail. That's Piper. Classic. Uh, the Bible says, Meditate on the Word of God day and night. Psalm 1. Spend some time this week in Psalm 1. You will never get tired of it. This is the sort of, of thing to meditate on that Christ has become an eternal source of salvation because he has. ...the dignity and because he has the eternity of the priesthood. And so so here's another way to say it. Uh, you, you can ask your friends, okay, you can ask them this question. Wouldn't it be an all-satisfying experience if if only two things were true? That number one, if you had a treasure of infinite value... ...that you would never get tired of this treasure. You would never say, ah, it's getting kind of old. That you would have a treasure and you would rejoice in having this treasure every moment of every day, right? And then secondly, if you had the guarantee that you would go on enjoying this infinite resource forever and ever with no end and no diminishment, wouldn't that lead us to what we would consider infinite joy? And the Bible says this is what we have in Christ. That we have a source That because of Christ, he's become the source of eternal salvation. And because he is infinitely valuable as the Son of God. And because he cares for us with advocacy and its never-ending, we can have access to eternal enjoyment. It's entirely possible. And some of us nod like this, like, yes. And some of us are nodding like, oh, no. And some of us are like, no, it's not possible. In my prayer for you, that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of your heart to see Christ so much more clearly, that you would be able to to revel and to worship Him as this eternal source that never runs dry, never. And so, so let's get to let's get to purity. There's one last foundation of eternal salvation, and 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 Christ becomes became the source of eternal salvation not only because of his dignity and because of eternity but also because of his purity and it's not just the purity that he brought to his ministry as the son of God but it's the purity that he had to forge in the furnace of suffering okay now this this can get a little hairy so let's let's walk kind of slowly through this so so if you ask did his divine dignity and his priestly eternity give him automatic purity, the answer to that question is no. The the cards weren't stacked against us and in his favor. It's not the way that that works. Um, It was not automatic. Verse 8 says that although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. This, This does not mean that he moved from being disobedient to being obedient, what it means is that he moved from being untested to being tested and proven. Okay? This is a very important distinction. Okay? So 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 he moved from obeying without any suffering to obeying through unspeakable suffering. It means that his natural purity was put into the flames. It was melted down with white-hot pain so that he could learn from experience what suffering is. Is and he can prove that his purity would persevere. It's very important we would understand that aspect of Christ. And so, so, did this come automatically? And again, the answer is no. Verse 7 says that it was prayed for, and it was begged for, and it was cried out for, and it was wept for with tears. There was, there was no fake test of Christ's purity. Everything in the universe hung on his, this test. And then the question is, well, was it brief? Now, some people will look at verse 7, and then they they will refer this to one battle that we see Jesus having in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweats drops of blood and he pleads with God. It's a very famous line, right? Where he says, uh, Father, uh, if this cup may pass from me, right? And then this beautiful moment of courage seems, but not my will, but your will be done. Understanding this, when he's done in the garden there, it says that angels came and attended to him. Okay, So, so most people will want to boil down all of Christ's suffering to this one moment in the, in the garden and then this one moment on the cross. And that's not necessarily what's being told here. In fact, what's being said, if we pay attention to verse 7, is that notice the word days. In the days, that's the plural. In the flesh, of His flesh. So not just the night, not just the day, but during all the days of His humanity, He was wrestling and praying and begging and crying out and weeping. And it was not brief. And it was a lifetime of warfare against sin. Lifetime. And when verse 7, uh, the end of 7 says that He was praying and crying to the one able to save Him from death... The question is, does that mean that he was mainly praying for deliverance from physical death, and, and was, was that the aim of his praying in the days of his flesh? And I don't, I don't think so, because verse seven says he was heard. He was, he was heard, and I think that means God gave him what he asked for. Verse eight describes the effect of that answered prayer: that he learned obedience. Jesus was was praying for obedience for persevering purity and and so in other words Jesus knew that there was a death much worse than death he knew that and in fact physical death is, is bad enough uh, and, and he desired that there be another way to do the Father's will than to die on the cross but far more horrible than dying on the cross was to die with impurity and to die with disobedience and so that, that was the great and that was the horrible threat and that That remains over all of us, that we would die in such a way. So he prayed all his life against that, and he was heard by his Father. And instead of caving into sin, he he learned obedience from what he suffered. He became a source of eternal salvation because of his dignity as the Son of God, his eternity in the priesthood of Melchizedek, and his purity in the crucible of incredible suffering. And it's, it's weird because we, in, in our world, Simon, we can start wrapping this up. Um, in, in our world, we want to avoid suffering. And there's something weird about us if we enjoy watching suffering. Right? Somebody's like, I don't know, it's kind of fun sometimes. No, it's never fun to watch suffering. And a lot of times we want to disconnect our hearts and our eyes from the suffering of those around us. And, and I think one of the most important things we can do is we can meditate our hearts on the suffering of Christ. Because He wasn't just suffering for Himself, He was suffering for the sins of, of the world. And so He comes in and He serves as a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness who is able to to dole out mercy and grace when we need it so we can have confidence to go to Him when we are in great need. And I'm appreciative of the writer this morning when he shows us that the reason Jesus can do these things is because He is the Son, and He is the Priest, and He is pure. He is pure. Now, I guess really what we deal with as a matter of application is, because uh, this is very much just Bible survey class this morning, isn't it? But as a matter of application, we we simply have to ask this question. Do we have this eternal salvation? Because not not everyone does. Not everyone does. Verse 9 tells us, In having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of ob- eternal Salvation. So, so do we see Christ in this way or not? And if we do, our hearts can grow with courage, our, our, our feet can go with confidence, our strength can go toward purpose, because we've seen Him for who he is as the bible shows him. We can give him our hearts because we realize that in that transaction he's getting the bum end of that deal. And if not the question is simply this, what what's keeping you from seeing him like that? What's keeping you from giving your heart to him today? Because one thing is is very clear from Hebrews is that the will of Christ that has to be obeyed, first and foremost, is this command to trust Him, to, to hold fast to our hope, to guard against a heart of unbelief, to hold fast to our confession, to draw near to Christ for help. In other words, the first and the main act of obedience is to believe in the promises of God and to hope in Him. That's where it goes. All other obedience according to Hebrews is the fruit of this first and this root act of obedience. So so daily acts of practical obedience are the evidence that this first obedient act is saving faith. And so my question to you is simply this. Do you have a saving faith? Because I think a saving faith and a wishful faith can look very similar. Do you have faith? A saving faith. And my prayer is, if you say no, that we just talk about it. That we kind of walk through what's those hesitancies. Because He doesn't have to prove anything to you to show that He's around, that He's aware. He doesn't. He's proven all that He needed to prove. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for the love that you've shown us through your Son. We thank you that we can worship Him because of His dignity because of the the honor that is worthy to Him. We, We thank You that we can worship Him because He is eternally ours. And we thank You that we can worship Him because of His purity. Knowing that He has experienced our temptations and He's able to sympathize with that. That He's was able to make it all the way through without sinning, showing us the strength that He makes available to us to fight today. And what we pray, Father, is that You would help us see Him so clearly today. And that today would be the day that some of us go from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from turmoil to peace. And for the others who have made a pledge of allegiance to Him. I pray that we would walk with purpose this week. That the week wouldn't be about what we get done in the office, but what we get done for you in the office. That the conversations wouldn't be about about what we're able to talk about, but why we're able to talk about the goodness of you. Father, we pray those things. It's in Jesus' name.